Treasury might be losing out on billions in tax revenue legitimately owed by people who make their living in the fast-growing gig economy. That's one finding from a recent audit by the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. Joining me with highlights, Assistant IG Matt Weir. Matt, good to have you back. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be with you. Now, you have, in this audit, made a subdivision of the entire self-employment economy. Help us to understand what the gig economy is as distinct from the much larger self-employment economy. So in the gig economy, you essentially have um, online platform companies with individuals who are willing to provide a good or a service and then individuals who want that good or service, and typically the online platform company takes a fee for bringing them together. And we wanted to look at self-employment taxes in the gig economy for a couple of reasons. First, uh, gig economy companies don't treat their workers like employees, so they don't withhold taxes for uh, FICA or Social Security, and they don't pay the employer's share. So that's one reason. We want to see how the IRS was doing at holding them to compliance in that area. And second, gig economy companies, they play by a different sort of set of rules when it comes to providing information to the IRS about what their workers earn. And this is really critical because when the IRS gets information about what taxpayers earn, tax compliance is around 93%. When the IRS doesn't have that information, it's around 37%. And the rule that gig economy companies are held to is they only have to uh, report to the IRS when their workers earn more than $20,000 and have more than 200 transactions in a year. And that rule basically came into play in 2008. And Congress at that time was focused on online auction companies. So, for example, if grandma's selling grandpa's rocking chair on eBay, Congress wasn't really concerned about the IRS having that information. Well, of course, now we have an entire gig economy that has mushroomed into a really sort of an outdated IRS reporting information requirement. Got it. So the distinction between regular self-employment is if I'm, say, a house painter, I get paid by individuals and it's up to me to report my income. There's no 1099 that comes from the people whose house I painted. But from the gig economy, there's that third party in the middle between the user and the employee, so to speak. And that's that's the difference between the two types of economies. And But what about the 1099s? Doesn't Uber and Lyft issue those to people? Well, now, Uber and Lyft, they're a unique case because they did publicly state that they were going to issue the 1099Ks to their workers irrespective of the $20,000 threshold and the 200 transaction threshold. But all these other gig economy companies, they've not made that commitment. So that's why we were really focusing on this trend in the economy and the challenge that the IRS has in tax compliance. So, So what we did in this audit, the first thing we did is we took nine large gig economy companies and we wanted to see how their workers complied uh, with ta- the tax requirements. And then with the, those same sets of employees, we wanted to see how the IRS handled them. So with respect to these nine gig economy companies, one thing that was very interesting we found is that the number of 1099 cases dramatically increased. It just sort of shows the blossoming of the gig economy. In 2012, there were about 140,000 1099Ks issued by these nine companies. By 2016, it was 2 million. Exponential growth. Yeah, exponential growth. And what we found 
is generally these taxpayers are are less compliant than the overall uh, taxpayer population. What we found when TIGDA looked at um, their compliance was about 14% of the 2 million taxpayers did not file tax returns. About 25% of them did not report the income that that was reflected on the the 1099K, and about 13% paid no self-employment tax at all. So with that same population, we want to see, well, how did the IRS treat them? And so we found uh, that the IRS identified pretty much what we did, that about 25% or about 500,000 workers had really questionable uh, tax returns. Of that amount, about 155,000 clearly had discrepancies with their Form 1099-K. But the IRS only worked about 20,000 of those, so about 13%. As to the 130,000 cases the IRS didn't get to, that was about $12 billion over four years that the IRS did not get to, which translates into about $500 million in uh, unpaid self-employment tax. We're speaking with Matt Weir. He's assistant IG at the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. So it's not a vast number necessarily in IRS terms, but it's enough that you had some recommendations for the IRS to maybe close that gap a little bit. Sure. And and keep in mind that these are just nine companies that we looked at. And there's a whole host of, of course, other gig economy companies out there. So the first thing we did was recommend to the IRS that they have a um, a gig economy compliance strategy um, that would help them get to these um, taxpayers who are receiving the 1099-Ks and working in the gig economy. And the good news is the IRS agreed that there's a deficiency there, and they are putting together a strategy um, to address uh, the gig economy. The, uh, The IRS also agreed to work with the Treasury Department to close that loophole um, of the $20,000 and 200 transaction threshold so that the IRS will receive information on all those uh, workers in the gig economy. There's a system that's involved here, and I guess maybe you also had some recommendations for tightening up that system, the Automated Underreporter Program, UAR. AUR, that's correct. So the employees in the AUR have a great deal of discretion to, even after they're assigned a self-employment tax case to screen out is what they call it, which in layman's terms mean (laughs) they don't work it, um, and they don't have to explain why they don't work that case. So we recommended that the IRS tighten up on that discretion and then make the employee, if they're not going to work the case, explain why they're not working the case. Another issue uh, in the AUR is that the employees are are somewhat constrained when they do address noncompliance and a taxpayer calls with an explanation. They don't have all the authority that we think they should have to push back on that taxpayer and uh, demand greater substantiation. The IRS also agreed to address that issue as well. So you had pretty good agreement from the IRS, but there were a couple of recommendations they thought, I guess they didn't have the manpower or the time to get to? Yeah, there, there was one recommendation in particular we really wanted the IRS to address. We found that of those nine companies that we talked about earlier, uh, where there was a problem with that worker reporting their income and paying the tax, they tended to repeat. So 74% of that population had multiple years of noncompliance. And what we said to the IRS was, you really need to focus on these repeat taxpayers. 
And you definitely want to be treating a taxpayer who only owes $1,000 and repeats noncompliance differently than a taxpayer who owes a million dollars and repeats their noncompliance. We did raise that issue with the IRS, and the IRS indicated that they simply don't have the resources to reconfigure their uh, programming at this time, but hopefully we'll be able to uh, address that in the future. But in general, the right leverage applied in the right way can have a lot of effect, or if you don't concentrate on where the most effect is, you won't get as big a change. That's absolutely true. And, you know, the tax gap, the annual tax gap is $458 billion. And self-employment taxes com- comprise about $69 billion of those dollars. Um, so we, uh, we want to help the IRS begin to close that tax gap. And I think we've, uh, we've made an important step with the recommendations we have in this audit. Matt Ware is Assistant Inspector General for the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you very much. We'll post a link to his report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.